0: Hey, Good evening. It's good to see you all. Uh, I want to welcome you. Uh, Redemption, if it's your first time here, my name is Ricardo Stewart and I'm one of the pastors here. Glad you all could be here. Just a few announcements that I have before we get into God's Word is um, next Sunday, um, next Sunday we are going to have our, our, essentially our one-time offering. And so during Advent and Advent season, we said there's two organizations that we would partner with. And if you haven't been here for the past three weeks, those two particular organizations are Crisis Pregnancy Center as well as Christian Family Care. So, the part that we were going to play with Crisis Pregnancy Center is that we would donate hours. And so, two weeks ago, they had a team of people that were here out in the lobby taking signups for us to donate volunteer hours for the year of 2013 in the center that would be here in Tempe. And then, um, They're back again this week, so we can sign up again. So those those of you who didn't get an opportunity to sign up last time, you have an opportunity to sign up today in the lobby. Or if you have any questions about the organization of of Crisis Pregnancy Center, what do they do, best thing you can do is stop by the lobby, uh, in the lobby, ask them any questions, and uh, sign up for some hours to partner with them. Uh, The other organization, again, Christian Family Care, we said we'd have a one-time offering for them, so that's next Sunday. Uh, We're only going to have two service times next Sunday, so that does affect you all. We will have a 9 a.m. as well as a 1045 a.m. No evening services next Sunday. In those two services, we will have a one-time offering that will go towards uh, Christian family care to help offset the cost for families that are adopting children with disabilities. Um, That's what we promised that we would do for them. And so all of the money that we do in that offering above and beyond our normal giving will go towards them. Now, there's been some questions of people saying, well, I'm not going to be here. I'm going out of town. I'm going back home. Um, You'll be able to give online for that, too. And so if you go to www.redemptionaz.com and go to the Tempe congregation page, you'll be able to find information where you can give there. But um, for you guys to know, next Sunday, 9 a.m., And 10.45, I told the morning service to make sure that they go to the 9 o'clock so you guys can go to the 10.45. But for whatever reason, if you guys can get up uh, before the 9 o'clock and you want to go to the 9 o'clock, although people have been thinking it's the 9.15 considering by the time that they show up. It's the 9 o'clock. It's a 9 o'clock service. And so over 9 a.m. as well as 1045, um, during those two services, we're going to have our Christmas performance of our children. And so that's going to be a blast and hilarious. Um, Anything could happen. So uh, at the 9 a.m. and 1045. The following day, Christmas Eve, we were having two services, two evening services. So next Sunday, 9 a.m., 1045. Christmas Eve, 5 p.m., and 11 p.m. We hope to see many of you at the 11 p.m. service. And some of you will come to the 5 p.m. There will be child care options for that for ages 1 through 3. Uh, we're okay with the babies being in here, the 1 to 3-year-olds. We don't um, want them in here. We want them with children's ministry. It's good for them. It's good for Jesus. It's good for everybody, right? And so... <laughs> One to three, there will be child care options for the 5 p.m. and then no child care options for the 11 p.m. If you love Jesus and you love your kids, don't have your kids up that late. Um, the rest of us, we will be here having a great time and uh, be able to celebrate the very beginning of Christmas together. If you weren't a part of the 11 p.m. service last year for Christmas Eve, it was wonderful and we look forward to having a great time for that as well. So, so I'll have time for announcements. If you guys have a Bible, why don't you guys open up and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. We are ending our series, concluding our series in First Peter, um, and so we'll do that this evening. If you don't have the Bible, could you raise your hand? And uh, keep your hand raised really high, and one of the guys will be able to get you a copy of, of the Bible. Um, keep it raised real high so they can see you. And if you don't own a Bible, keep the Bible that we give you so you can have a copy of God's Word. It's our gift to you. First Peter chapter 5. Um, so far in this letter, there has been one consistent theme, and the theme has been suffering. Uh, suffering for righteousness sake, suffering for being a Christian, uh, suffering for walking and following Christ. And in these last few verses, we're going to look at verses 6 through 11 this evening, I think are timely um, to, to give us perspective on suffering. And perspective and understanding who God is in the midst of suffering. Understanding who God is in the midst of pain, who God is in the midst of tragic events. Um, many of you, like myself, on Friday at some point, whether it was Friday during the day or whether it was Friday at night or whether it was Saturday morning, that we turned on the news, that we turned on the radio station, that we read the newspaper, we we followed people's posts on Facebook or Twitter, we read blogs, and we heard again and again and again of another tragic event in our country. A tragic event that none of us could make sense of that none of us really have answers for. In fact, one of the frustrating things for me is reading these blog posts and reading these, uh, these Facebook posts of people trying to answer questions that we just can't answer. Because when, when events like this happen, whether it's 9-11 or whether it's Hurricane Katrina or something just as, as devastating as this, given the fact that 20 of the people that were murdered were children, like kids, six to seven years old, just a senseless act, There's a lot of questions of where's God in all this? Or how do I understand who God is in the midst of this? And you have on one side people that don't believe in God and would look and say, how could a loving God even allow something like this to happen? And sadly, on the flip side, we have people professing believers in Jesus Christ who would say that they have the same faith that many of us say that we have in Jesus, making outlandish comments and remarks of saying, the reason why this happened is because of this reason or this reason or because people took prayer out of the schools. Listen, we don't know we don't know there's a lot of questions that the bible answers a lot explicitly that are clear and there's some questions that the bible doesn't answer and one of those questions is this the bible gives us good information and good teaching on suffering in fact that's what we've been talking through for the past 15 weeks but the bible doesn't tell us completely and clearly why we know god's sovereign we know god's going to come and restore we know that god himself suffered in the work of christ jesus but why because we don't know And the worst thing that we can do as believers in Jesus is try to say that we know we don't know. Where the Bible is silent, God is silent, so we proceed with wisdom. In fact, what people need in this moment, and what I need in this moment, what we need, people who believe in God, people who do not believe in God, is not just the concept of God or intellectual assent, um, not just a theory of who God is, but what we need is to understand and know does God care? Like in the midst of suffering, does he care? Because with all of our arguments and with all of our conversations, what we realize is we can't explain away suffering. It's here. And it's happened in our country. It's happened in our world again and again and again. And it's going to happen again. But in the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain, in the midst of consequences of other sins, uh, other people's sin, the consequence of your own sin, does God care? Do we have a God who cares? I think it's fitting, it's timely that Peter's words for us are fitting for us as a congregation. It's been easily one of the hardest sermons I've preached in my life, um, thinking about that, thinking about the pictures, thinking about the families, thinking about what would that be like if we experienced that here, what would it be like if it were my children? It, it's a hard thing, but to make sense out of it, what I need is a God who cares. And that's what we have in the gospel. In fact, there's two, there's two points in, in the Gospels where we see that Jesus himself weeps. One time is when he's walking into Jerusalem and, and he notices that the people are saying, Hosanna, they're saying, we want you to be your king, but not the, we want you to be our king, but it's not the king the way that God has come in Christ to be the king. And so he weeps. But the other time, the time of I'm talking about at this moment, is in John chapter 11. It's when Jesus himself finds himself going to his friend's tomb, his friend Lazarus, who is dead. And, and the, the emotion that Jesus expresses in that moment, that he, does God have emotion? Absolutely. Jesus weeps in that moment. And what's interesting about that moment of Jesus weeping over Lazarus' death is that Jesus is weeping knowing, fully knowing, he's about to raise him from the dead. And the language that it says that when he was moved to weep, it, the language behind that means he was angered. That he has an expression of anger. It's a righteous indignation that he hates something, that something upsets him. It's not the people for crying, and it's not Lazarus for dying, but it's death itself. That what we have in Christ Jesus and the God of the Bible is a God who concern, who's concerned, who cares, who weeps, and, and cares about our situation no matter what our situations may be. Whatever is the result of the effects of sin in this world, that he cares about it. But he's also powerful enough to do something about it. What Peter gives us in these short few verses here. As a few ways to show us how God cares for us in the midst of suffering, in the midst of tragic events, in the midst of the consequences of sin, that we have this God who is with us, that he's a God who delivers, that he delivers us personally from our own burdens and our anxieties, that he promises by faith to deliver us from the devil, and lastly, that one day, our Jesus, the one who came in this season of Christmas, the Advent, during the second Advent, will come and fully deliver us from, from this world, and from pain and suffering. So we're going to look at that, but before we do, would you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that my words would be few, but the power of your Spirit would be significant. God, I pray that you would bring to the forefront of our mind just the realities of this world around us, the realities of, of the things that that we hate. Lord, help us hate the things you hate. God, help us to have a clear understanding of who you are. And this is a sober mind for uh, a time for us in our country, Lord. Help us not to be flippant by anything or to take inappropriate jabs, but Father, to understand clearly, to know you are a deliverer, you care for us, and that you draw near to your people. God, we thank you in Jesus's precious name. Amen. Peter starts in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time that he may exalt you, cast in your, all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Um, when Peter says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, what, what comes to mind and what's brought to mind there is a is God from the Old Testament in the Exodus, that in that language in, in Deuteronomy that we read, um, that, that God himself, through his mighty hand, delivered the people out of slavery out of Egypt. He delivered his people out of Egypt. And so Peter now, coming to the conclusion of this letter, writing to a particular people who are suffering, who are asking the same questions we ask when we suffer or we see people we love suffer. Why is this happening? And the temptation to walk away or have a disbelief in the existence of God. Peter says, humble yourself because the same God in whom you serve, the same God who sees your afflictions is the same God who heard the moaning and the groanings of his people. And he was able to rescue and deliver them. This has brought comfort to God's people. In fact, during the time of exiles, the time of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel repeats that again to the exiles around him. This is the God who can deliver. And then Peter begins to talk more specifically in ways, in the midst of suffering, and the midst of sin, how he cares for us to deliver us. And the first is how he can deliver us and promises to deliver us from our burdens. In verse 7, he says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Um, To cast your anxieties on something, to cast, uh, the picture there is having something that you have in your hands that you can't carry that you throw upon something else or upon someone else. That there's a weight that is on you that is too heavy that you cannot carry that you're able to give to someone else and let it be their deal. Let them carry it because they may have a better ability to do so. Um, we, do, we see this a lot. Um, uh, an example that comes to me is usually in the gym um, when people work out. I used to go to the gym. I don't anymore. I'm assuming people still work out. And um, in, the, in the gym, if someone could, has weight that's on them that's too, too much, they and can't, they can't lift, they would have a spot. And, and I remember the only accident we ever had in the gym when I was in college with my roommate had way too much weight, way too much weight on him, and none of us were paying attention, and all we heard was, help, help, help. And then the bar was on his neck, right? Um, he was okay, it was fine. But it took like three of us to lift the bar up and go, what are you doing? Like, you're not supposed to carry that, right? Like, you can't bench press that. Meathead, right? You can't do that. It, it, the, the, the picture that Peter gives us is saying the weight that we have in this world is real. It'll choke us out. And the best thing that we can do is realize is just acknowledge, God, I can't, I can't hold this. In fact, it would be sin for us to carry the anxieties. Hear me, it would be sin for us to carry the anxieties, the anxieties that Peter is talking about, these burdens. There are anything from discontentment, discouragement, um, things that you worry about, things that are constantly keeping you up overnight. Most of us know exactly what that's like. I was talking to a friend of mine who's in ministry. And he said, Hey, if you got out of ministry, what would you do? And I said, I don't know. I'd probably go back to doing a job that I used to hate. And he goes, Why? And I said, There's something about my job, and you guys, it's not just ministry, you guys have it the same way, where I feel like I can't shut it off sometimes. Where I go to sleep, it's in my mind. I wake up, it's in my mind. I'm constantly thinking, Did I get back to that email? Did I call this person? Did I do something? Did I not? Did I say this? And it's just constantly going. I said, I wish I could go back when I was a missions counselor at ASU, when nothing mattered, five o'clock hit, and it was like, Peace. I will see you later, right? Like, on Friday night when 5 o'clock hit, it was like, I'll see you guys again on Monday at 9 a.m. You won't call me, I won't call you. This relationship works, peace, right? And, and now, and you guys, it's not, you know, it's not just with ministry. It's just, you, you know what it's like, whether it's in school, you have a test, you have finals, you have a family, and you feel like your mind is constantly going. Um, all of those things that are real to us, whatever, they may exi- whatever causes anxiety, God is saying, listen, you are not strong enough. It is very prideful. You're not humbling yourself before a God who can deliver us when you try to carry that. I believe that a lot of these people who are writing in response to our tragic events, they're doing a harmful job because they're trying to explain things and just say, tell us who God is in this moment. And then the questions that we can't answer, just say, we don't know. We don't know. But I'm going to trust God in this. Because a part of what Peter is saying is anxieties or questioning. Like, is it okay to question God? Absolutely. Who else are you going to question is it okay to have doubts? Absolutely. There's not a Christian in this world who's never had doubts. There's not, not a person in this world when tragedy happens, no matter how strong their faith is, are not rocked. Peter's audience was having the same issues. They were looking at things around them. They were losing family members. In fact, um, what Peter was doing in this, in this letter, it hadn't happened yet, but Peter was preparing these people for even more suffering. Because the suffering that they were experiencing at this particular moment was a suffering that was social, was people's words. Years later, they would experience physical persecution through this region under a man by the name of Nero. In the same way, whatever suffering we've gone through, there's going to be more. There's just going to be more. And so it's on us with our questions, with our doubts, with our discontentments to say, Lord, we don't know, but we trust that you know. God, we need help, and we trust that you are the one that can help us. God may not answer fully all our questions this side of heaven, but what we do know is that God is a God who draws near. And the same way that we can see that he rescued his people out of Egypt, after years of groaning, God was able to deliver them. Peter is saying he's also able to deliver us individually and personally with whatever issues, whatever anxieties we have, as long as we cast them upon him. To not cast our burdens upon the Lord would be sin. It'd be sin. And here's the thing why we know we can do it. Because he cares for us. He cares for us. This is a simp he cares. Does God care? Absolutely. Does God weep? Absolutely. Is God angered over events? Absolutely. He cares. You know, sometimes we 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 um we talk to people, and when we're talking to people and we're giving them our life, we're giving them our story, we're letting them know how our day was that day, and you can tell that they don't they don't care. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. You're talking to someone and you're going and you're going and you think they're fired up and you keep going and you're looking, and you're like, you're not paying attention. And they're just like, what? It's like, you don't even care. Oh, no, 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 I do care, I do care. I was just, uh, no, I don't care, right? Just just be honest with this. Um, God cares, like he wants to listen. Or on the flip side, people tell us things. And sometimes people tell us things that are just just too heavy for us. You ever have that moment where someone's told you something and it absolutely crushes you? Like you want to walk away and cry yourself or you want to walk away and now you're equally as heavy as as they are. And that's that's a good place to be, but you realize, gosh, I, I am not the person for this this is a God problem. Only God can do this. The first time this happened for me, I was just barely getting in the ministry. I was a little high school a little high school pastor. I was a little beady high school rinky-dink pastor. I was like this big. And, uh, <laughs> and I, was, I, was, um, I was called by a mom who I didn't really know that well. And then she called me and she said, hey, um, um, and I could tell something was wrong. She says, something has happened really bad, tragic. Um, I haven't been able to talk to my ex-husband. He hasn't been contacting the kids. So I went to his house in Tempe and and I realized that um, I walked in, and he was laid before me, and he's, uh, he was dead. And, and she goes, and I need you to do something. And, um, and I was thinking, pray with her, something like that. And she goes, the boys are get out of school in 10 minutes. And it was a junior high kid and high school kid. And she goes, I need you to pick them up, pick all three of the boys up, and then drop the two youngest ones at the house, and take the oldest one and drive him over here. And at some time between, from the time you pick him up to the time that he's over here, um, could you tell him and let him know that his father's dead? At that moment, I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I honestly was freaking out. One, I'd never talked to this kid. So it already, it's already awkward that I'm showing up at this high school, and I'm like, hey, your mom told me to come pick you up. And he's looking at me like, why are you picking me up? <laughs> because your mom told me to why. I don't know. Just get in the car, right? And, and then the whole time, we drop his little brothers off, and we're driving over here on the 60, getting off on Mill Avenue. And I'm trying to go, like, how do you, how, how, where do you start at? Like there's no there's no handbook for that. They don't give pastors. Hey, this is what you do, and this is what you're you know. You know we don't know. It was a moment I feel like that was that was heavy for me. I can't handle that. Like I couldn't. Ha- I did it. I couldn't handle that. It wrecked me. You see, God, when He says that He cares for us, one when we speak to Him, He listens. He's attentive. He cares. His eyes are not glossing over, and He has the ability to do so with all of His people, and no matter how big no matter how heavy, no matter how tragic, no matter how gross, no matter how ugly your thought, your emotion, your question, your situation may be, he can handle it. That that he's loving enough that he can lean in and he's attentive to our prayers and to our thoughts and concerns, and he's powerful enough to be able to handle it. That's the picture that Peter is giving us here when he says, God is a deliverer, he's one who cares for you, and he's able to deliver you from whatever burden that is that you have. That God cares about the totality of the faculties of our, of, our, of our bodies, of our beings. He cares about us emotionally. He cares about us physically. He cares about us psychologically. And he even cares about us spiritually. And not just spiritually and what he's able to do for us, but what he knows is exactly against us. What is many times behind a lot of the tragic events. What is many times behind some of the ill wills and evil in this world. And that is the fact that we have an adversary. So not only does God promise to show his care for us and deliver us from our burdens, but also deliver us from the enemy. Here's how Peter says it, giving us a warning in verse 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour he says, I just want to let you know that even though they're suffering around and you see it, your friends the, and your family members, um, when you see it's tragic events of people who, who, have sen- who commit senseless acts of crime, there is something behind the physical realm of which we cannot see. Meaning there are spiritual realities. There's the devil and there's demons. This is real talk. I feel like sometimes in our environment, like environments where people teach the Bible and people um, read a lot of books in a very cognitive environment that sometimes we try to explain away the existence of Satan or the existence of demons because we cannot see it and we cannot put it, put it through a, a scientific grid or a scientific method. And so uh, we don't want to be like the weird people who are handling snakes or whatnot. And so we say we're, we're, we, we know that there's a devil, but functionally we don't act like he's real. And Peter is trying to say, just so that you know, you may be receiving persecution from people, but there are demonic activity that's behind it. And I believe in Christianity, there's a spectrum, right? There's a spectrum of how we look at the devil. On one side, um, there's people who go, he's not really that real. I mean, he's there. I mean, we know there's a devil. We know he's there, but, you know, he's probably somewhere else. And so we never think about him. Um, Sometimes we belittle him. We don't want to have an understanding of him or his demons. And on the flip side, you have people who blame the devil for everything, and I don't know if you ever grew I grew up in a church like the devil was behind everything, right? And at that point you go, he, he can't be everywhere, right? Really? He, is the devil's fault why people are allergic to peanut butter? That, I don't even think they're really allergic, right? I just, it's a, it's, it was behind, he was behind everything. And so what you, have, you, what you do is you have a pendulum swing to go, I don't know where he's really at. But a healthy view is to go, understanding, one, there's the devil. He was created. He was the most beautiful angel. He decided to to rebel against God, him and a third of the angels, which are called demons now. Demons. They are real. The devil, the devil himself, our adversary, Peter gives and says that he's like a lion who's prowling around looking to devour somebody, meaning he's sneaky, he's crafty, and he's good at it too. He's good at it. He's not all-knowing, but he knows more than we do. He's not all-powerful like God, but he's more powerful than us. He understands our weaknesses more than we understand our weaknesses. He understands the Bible more than we understand the Bible. And oftentimes that's what he uses to manipulate us. It says that he disguises as the angel of light. And he's good. Here's how good he is. Eve, Adam and Eve, in a perfect context of which sin had not even entered the earth, that Satan himself, through the form of a serpent, was able to deceive her. And if he was able to deceive someone who had seen God face to face, who had walked with God in the cool of the day, who had never sinned, would it not be easy for him to deceive and manipulate those of us who were born naturally by birth into sin? He, he, he's very deceptive. And like I said before, he's not omnipresent, meaning he's not everywhere like God, but he does have demons and there's influence. And so, if you took just a quick survey of Satan within the New Testament, what you would see is that he influences things like people are demonically possessed. You can trust that a person who is in Christ Jesus could never be possessed by by a demon or Satan, but could be oppressed or influenced. Sometimes you could have opportunities, or I mean, excuse me, moments in your life where for, you can't even you can't even explain why, but there's an emotion that you have, a negative emotion that you have. Where does that come from? It could be from the enemy. Um, you can have direct opposition from people who love you and have always loved you, but because of your new faith in Christ Jesus or your maturing faith in Christ Jesus, that there's direct opposition. It could be. Um, There could be an increased temptation in you, just a desire for certain things that just seem to be overwhelming to you, and it seems like it's always there, like the, the things that you don't want the most in your life are always there. It could be. The hard thing about, this, about the devil and about Satan is it, and sin is that the two are hard to distinguish. Because oftentimes it's just our sin, and sometimes it is demonic influence. And even when we see tragic events, like we've seen in our country, like we've seen this past weekend, I can't say, oh, that was Satan. I can't say that. But it was evil. I can definitely say that. It was definitely evil. And evil in itself comes from Satan. You see it's not, Satan's not going to try to scare us. He's going to try to trick us. Take truth and twist truth. And he's active and he moves and he's thinking about how to distract God's people because, you know, he can't destroy God's people. He can't pluck us out of God's hand. He can't, he's not going to, you know, I grew up thinking it was like Jesus and Satan were going to battle for my soul or who who was going to win. And that's not the gospel. The gospel is God himself in Christ. Jesus has already battled for your soul. He has you. And what, what Satan tries to do now in, the, in between time is distract Christians so that they may be useless. And so I thought of three ways in which I believe that if Satan was at work within redemption, like what are the ways that it, it would manifest itself? And the first way, I believe, is apathy. And here's what I mean by this. We have a, we have a, a growing amount of new Christians, which is amazing, and a lot of young Christians. Um, people who have been Christians for years but have found themselves that, ah, you know what, now's the time to check out. And apathy meaning, yeah, I believe in God. I believe that he sent his son Jesus, that he saved me, and uh, I'm thankful for that. I don't have any desire to live for him. I don't have any desire to read my Bible, to know truth. Um, I don't have any desire to pray. I don't have any desire to be in, in others' lives and for others to be in my life. It just, I have an apathy towards Christianity. I'm usually waiting on some sort of experience to, to get me there or some sort of song. If I could just hear the right song or if I can hear the right sermon, if I can get there, then that's why I'll get out of my apathy. And I do believe that, that that's just a lie. Which gets me to the next part is, is that over an increased, an increasing amount of credibility placed on the experience here's what i mean by that is that we have a growing amount of people that are not looking at the bible as truth they're looking at jesus and saying as long as i got jesus that's good but everything that jesus has said and everything that is mentioned in the bible it's up for debate because if I can't experience, if my emotions, if my feelings are telling me this is the way I ought to live and I'm, I receive love best in this way, even though it's the antithesis of the gospel and gospel living, then that's the way it's supposed to be. And if I can't experience God, one, I will question my salvation. I will question my assurance before the Lord if I can't experience it. And it goes back to the first part. It's usually I want just some really, really good experience. I watch people around me and they raise their hand and I don't. Is it me? I think that's a lie. Some people are hand raisers. Some people are not hand raisers. You may never experience the way that you want to feel uh, God. You may not feel that. Because your faith has never been based upon of experience, and your faith is not based upon feelings. You see, emotions are healthy. They are. And I, I would say we can't be too cognitive and not connect with the heart. But emotions, they lie to us. Just like every faculty of our body has been tainted by sin, so is our emotions. And sometimes, you know what? I don't, me, I'm talking me, I don't feel like worshiping God. I don't wake up in the morning every day and go, oh, I'm a pastor, I want to worship you, right? I don't, I don't wake up like that. That's just not my life. There are moments where my day starts off with saying, God, I don't want to be here. Uh, there are moments where, God, I'd rather read a book than read your book. I'd rather talk to people about you than hear from you. That, that, because that's the, I'm broken, I'm fallen. just like you. Just like you. And I believe the way the enemy lies is, well, it must not be real. It must not be true. And the last way I believe that he does it I mentioned earlier, it's just temptation. And it's our sin, it's, it's Satan. It's hard to really tell the difference, but it's temptation. And an increased amount of temptation. To the point that we feel like sin has its foot on our throat. And that we can't get out of it. I feel like I meet with people after people after people, and it's usually one particular or two particular sins that is like their go-to. And the, and, and the, and the thought is, it's bigger than me. It's, it may be bigger than you, but it's not bigger than your Savior. It is not bigger than your Savior. That is a lie from the pit of hell and from Satan himself. It's not truth. P- Peter, Peter gives us something when he says, listen, G- God cares about you. Because he cares about you, he's giving you a warning. As you walk forward as a Christian, in fact, I try to tell new Christians this all the time. If you just became a Christian within the last six months, be ready for some stuff to happen. Just be ready for some random stuff to happen. Where you, ah, Why is this happening? Because you are a Christian because you love Jesus and Satan does not like that. The angels they clapped when you became a Christian, they celebrated. The Lord knew he loves you, he will always love you. Satan does not like that. There will be opposition. There will be opposition. And so Peter gives us listen, watch out. Here's a warning as you live for Jesus, here's what's going to happen because God cares for you. He's letting you know that you have an adversary. His name is Satan, and the only way that you're going to be able to walk strong, the only way to The only way you're going to be able to be confident is if you resist him. Verse 9 here. It says, resist him firm in your faith. Meaning as you, the firm in your faith there's a picture there there of you digging in and understanding not by your strength, not by your ability to rebuke him, not by um, belittling him, or not by worrying about him too much, but trusting in Jesus. Not looking at Satan and what Satan can do, but looking at Christ and what Christ has already done. Seeing who you are in Christ Jesus, understanding your union with Christ, understanding that you were bought with a high price, understanding that you were gods and gods alone, understanding that even though you've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, that you're still a sinner and that your emotions and your thoughts, they will waver, but truth in itself will remain the same because truth in itself is clearly revealed through the scriptures and even most clear through the work of Christ Jesus. Peter says, resist, resist him. The apostle, James James says it this way in James chapter four, verse seven. He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Meaning if you resist him through the word of God, you take every thought captive, every lie, every lie about you, about your image, about this world, about God, that is inconsistent with the scripture, you take it captive and say, no way. And I understand the truth. I understand the truth. And James says, and if you draw near to the Lord, he will draw near to you. Sometimes in our battle, our battle with our sin, our battle with the enemy, it's here. It really is. It's here. S- sometimes we do too much thinking in our head, and we can get away with just anything in our head. We need to speak out loud. And I'm not talking just speaking to speak in the state. I'm saying speak out loud. Understand scripture. I'm understand. Uh, in fact, a healthy way, when you find yourself tempted, um, and you're about to engage into a sinful act, that you know. You know. Is it's, it's sinful. Talk out loud. Say, Lord... This is what I'm about to do right now. It sounds awkward, I know. Right? And if you don't want to be that weird guy, just put some headphones in, and people will think you're just talking on the phone or something. right? Lord, I'm about to, and name it. I guarantee you're like, no, I'm not really wanting to do that anymore, Lord. I'm not really wanting to do that anymore. But in your head, you can get away with it. You can get away with it in your head. But if you speak it out loud and see what the sin is, and then speak truth. So don't just speak the negative thing or the sinful thing, but also speak the truth. Speak the truth of who God is that's what peter means when he says god cares for you he could deliver you from the enemy but it's only by your faith and hear me it's not the amount of your faith it's not the exercise of your faith it's the object of your faith it's about christ It's about the gospel it's about him him wanting you more than satan could ever do anything to you is satan powerful yeah can he hurt you can he harm you can he take people away from you can he have and be behind and orchestrate terrible events yes but god is the one who's sovereign he's the one who's good and he's the one who actively causes, or allows all things for our good and for his glory. In fact, the last thing that we see in which God cares for us is care for us that we can give him our burdens. His care for us to let us, let us know, hey, when you walked into this Christian life, that there's going to be opposition, not just from people around you, which we've been talking about for the several weeks, but from Satan. From Satan, opposition. And lastly, he promises to deliver us from pain and from suffering. Here's what Peter says in verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, and strengthen you. I love that. After you've suffered for a little while, meaning there's there's no escaping it, you're gonna suffer, and many of us are gonna suffer for Jesus. It's gonna look different for different for di- um, different people, but it's going to happen. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. Please listen to me. It is inevitable. There is an unhealthy teaching that says if you believe in God and and you exercise your faith, bad things won't happen. You won't lose your job. You won't lose your kids. You know what? Guess what? It lied. It lied. Suffering is inevitable for anybody, whether you believe in Jesus or not. You can't explain it away. It's coming. The the, the thought is okay, but how do we know God cares in the midst of it? And Peter says after we've suffered for a little while, meaning after this may could be your whole life, it could be a season of suffering. But after it, here's a promise: the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory, He is the one who's going to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. the 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 thought here is: the God of all grace is the one who calls you. We've said this at the very beginning of of this of this of this season, a series, is that we are not called because we were qualified. God didn't look at our ability to be able to cast our anxieties upon him. He didn't look at our ability to be able to understand the devil or even understand our Bibles, and that's why he called us. But we are qualified because we're called. The qualification of our standing before the Lord, the qualification to know that one day we will exist and reign with him in a new heaven a new earth, the qualification comes from him, meaning God, in the midst of suffering, constantly promises people, you will suffer, but guess what? There will be a moment. There will be a time. Not only will God give us grace in this life, but the fullness of his grace that we will be completely delivered in his grace from this world. And the question is, well, that, that's helpful. And, but I do still want to know, in light of Friday, how can we trust God? How can we trust God and how can we know that this promise is sure? Sure. How can we trust God when we see 26 people murdered, 20 of them children? And especially many of you who have young children, many of you who work with children. How can we trust God? How do we know? A few things. One, you go back to the story of Lazarus, this God of all grace that Peter talks about, seen in Jesus Jesus Christ, that in that moment, Jesus is angry and he hates death it is not the way it's supposed to be why hasn't he ended it yet we don't know but we do know from jesus emotion and from his word he hates it and then when it comes to kids when it comes that was a shock to us that happened to us it was a shock but god himself before he created this world when he created knowing he would create man and woman with the ability to choose with volition and that our choice would be to sin against him and that chaos and destruction would enter into our world. But before the foundations of this world, the God of all grace knew the only way that I will ever end it, the only way that I could, I could make it never happen again, the only way that I can erase it, the only way that everything that's been turned wrong could be made right, the only way is that God himself would know that his child would die. And this was something that he would choose. That the God of all grace would say the only way that I know that I can end death is if I die myself. And so when Jesus comes to our world, when the baby comes to the manger, ultimately to go to the cross, the hymn itself says it best, Joy to the World, and part of the line of Joy to the World, the song that we sing, it says, as far as the curse is found, his grace abounds, meaning on the cross, Jesus Christ was not only saying, I'm going to reconcile sinner and saint, but on the cross, when Jesus said it's finished, he knew What needed to happen in order for this world to turn, in order that death and decay will be no more, was that he himself would have to give his life. It's the very reason why he came, not only to rescue us, but all to renew and to restore all of creation. It's why Peter can say with all confidence, and it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we can say with all confidence that our God is the deliverer, not just out of Egypt, but ultimately to come to restore this world. And then he says, personally, this God. And his weird, mysterious way can look at every single one of us, every single person who, by faith in Christ Jesus. After we've suffered loss, restore us. And that word restore us, whatever we've lost, he's able to give it back. How is he going to do that? I don't know. Supremely. It means that we will be the people who we were called to be. He will confirm us, he will strengthen us, and he will establish us. Peter's hope to this church in the, midst of, in the midst of suffering, and the same hope that we have in the midst of suffering, is not to question so much the existence of God, but to look and answer and see, does he care? And his words of encouragement is absolutely, absolutely. And Christmas is a perfect time to remember that, because he came into this world for one sole reason, to renew his people, to save his people, to one day to open, o- overtly bless us. Amen? Let's pray.